You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 55 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. The Tax Practitioners Board, TPB, is the national body responsible for the registration and regulation of us as tax or best agents or tax financial advisors and a few more. So the TPB is important for us, but at least I had very little idea of what the TPB actually does, how it operates, how it is structured and financed. So I went to see Ian Taylor, the chair of the TPB, to find out. But before we talk to Ian, I want to first tell you about the office we met in. We met at the ATO office in the heart of Sydney. And visiting this office completely transformed my idea of the ATO and the people working there. I feel very embarrassed admitting this now, but I had never been to the ATO before. And I was expecting to come into a tired old building with some outdated computers left over from the 90s and some grey faces around. And I underwent a complete reality check. The building was modern with glass walled elevators zooming up and down the atrium. The offices were open plan and filled with light. And I certainly didn't see any old computers from the 90s. It felt very professional. In fact, it felt very much like a headquarter of an ASX listed company. I passed a group of five young people with lanyards around their necks that said ATO smart data team. And they looked like people you would expect at a fintech startup preparing for an IPO. Very driven, very techy, and very, very smart. So these few minutes making my way to the meeting room completely changed my perception of the ATO. The TPB uses space provided by the ATO, hence my meeting with Ian in the office. Ian has been the chair of the TPB since January 13, 2013, so well over five years, coming up to six years now. My first question to Ian is, what is the role of the TPB? What is the TPB actually about? What does it do? Here's Ian. The role of the TPB and the overall purpose of the TPB is to protect consumers of tax practitioner services. And we do this in a number of ways. Firstly, we ensure the tax practitioners, and when I use the term tax practitioners, I'm talking about tax agents, BAS agents, and tax financial advisors. So there's three categories. So we ensure that they have the necessary skills, experience, and personal attributes to be registered as a practitioner. Once they're registered, we then assist them in complying with their obligations in the Tax Agent Services Act of 2009, which we call TASER for short, and that includes specifically a code of professional conduct. So the code of conduct gives them guidelines in terms of the way they need to carry on their practices. So we also provide guidelines and information on those uh, relevant matters that come out of the code of conduct. We also ensure that appropriate professional ethical standards are being met. And we do that by following up complaints and referrals about tax practitioners. So the public at large, the clients of practitioners are able to lodge complaints with the board and we follow up on those to ensure that agents, registered practitioners, provide a competent service to their clients. And so that involves us taking action against some of those practitioners and also those that provide services whilst unregistered. 
Can I ask you something? The TPB, Tax Practitioners Board, came into existence through TASA 2009, yep. Part 6. Correct. Is that quite unusual? Are you aware of other government bodies who have been established through an act of of law? Well, Maybe was ASIC established? ASIC through? is established under the Corporations Act. And okay, so, so that was also so an that's act it, of but law. But there's also now new ones in FASIA, which is the Finance Advisory Service Standards Ethics Standards Group, which is just a new one. There's the new Complaints Authority. There's the old Superannuation Tribunal. So there's quite a few that are in that category. And also ACNC, which is the Charities and... Uh, Not-for-profits authority as well, ACNC. So there are quite a few in this same category. But prior to the TPB having its own act, it was part of the Tax Administration Act. So it was previously six state-based tax agents boards, and they were part of the Tax Admin Act. They were taken out of there and created into a separate act, being the Tax Agent Services Act. When you look at the different professions around tax advice, accounting, bookkeeping, etc., you basically have four levels. You have the first level where no registration is required, like bookkeeping or accounting software specialists or pay-as-you-go accountants, etc. Then you have the next level where you need a registration through a professional association, like being a CA or a CPA. Then you have the next level where you need to be registered through a general government body, so, for example, financial advisors who need to be registered with ASIC. And then you have the next level where you need to be registered with a very specific government body, and that are the tax advisors. So the tax advisors seem to have kind of got oh, the harshest treatment in terms of that they have a government body that yeah. just looks after the. Well, it's true, but I mean, has an eye it's also them. not required from the point of view of being a registered tax practitioner, either a BAS agent or a tax agent. It's not required that you actually are a member of an association. So, you know, you can if you just meet the education and experience requirements, you can register with the board, and that might be all you have as your qualification, i.e. that you're a registered practitioner. You might not be a member of any association. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so you you might not be registered with anybody else. Yeah. Right? But you're right. There are those different levels. If you if you put it in four, I've never really sort of thought of it as four. But I mean, clearly within the accounting profession in Australia, we don't have a legislated environment for accountants generally, right? So anyone can put up a sign that says I'm a, I'm an accountant. I, anyone can put up a sign that says I'm a public accountant, regardless of your qualifications. There's no restriction on who can do that. There is, however, clearly requirements if you do certain things. So, for example, if you want to be a liquidator, you've got to be a registered liquidator. If you want to be an auditor, you've got to be a registered auditor. If you want to be a tax person, then you've got to be a registered tax person. But generally speaking, anyone can provide bookkeeping and accounting services without being registered with anybody and without being a member of a professional association. So people do become members of professional associations because of the status that gives them it, you know, and they can practice as, let's say, a chartered accountant or a CPA or a IPA person, you know, it gives them that status. And, but that relies on the public at large understanding those rules. And generally speaking, the public at large don't understand those rules. And particularly, I guess, in today's environment, you ask the question, how does a person looking for tax or how does a person looking for accounting or tax services actually find them? 
The answer is, in all probability, is they go straight to the internet and they look on the internet. Do they look for a person who's qualified with an association? Again, probably not. It's whatever comes face-to-face to them is probably the starting point of where they look for a person to provide them with services. On your website, you say the Australian Taxation Office is separate to the PPB, yep. but is one of the key stakeholders as they provide registered tax and best agents with access to their online services. And I thought, yes, the ATO is a key stakeholder, but it probably is a key stakeholder for more reasons than just because the tax agents access online services, the ATO depends on the tax agents following yeah. the code of conduct for, okay. for the integrity of the entire tax system. Yeah. So look, we make that point that we are separate and independent of the ATO because the reason that the Tax Agent Services Act of 2009 came into play in the first instance was because practitioners uh, felt that it was inappropriate to have a body that you're dealing with in terms of your day-to-day interaction on behalf of clients as also the regulator of that particular group of people, right? So the government decided that it needed to be independent, and it's independent because the board itself comprises eight individuals, myself as chair, but eight in total, and we're all part-time and we're all practitioners, Right? And we're independent. We're not public servants. We're independent. We're statutory office holders, but we're independent of the ATO. Now, what that means is that we still work closely with the ATO because for a person to actually provide tax services to their clients, they need to have access to ATO systems. They can't get access to ATO systems unless they're registered with the board in the first place. So the process is they register with the board. The board issues them with a, what we call a registered agent number, a RAN. Once they've got that, they can go and access ATO systems so that they can then interact with the ATO on behalf of their clients. And that mm. gives them access to the portals, electronic lodgement, all of the things that a practitioner does in their interactions with the ATO. Yes, and accessing the ATO portal actually gives you access to very confidential information. Absolutely. Hence, it needs to be closely yeah. closely watched. Yep, yep. And so that's also the other way in which we work with the ATO is that... Um, If, a, uh, if the ATO become aware of practitioners, as they do, in their interactions with practitioners, if they come across a practitioners who they believe are not doing the right thing, then they refer those cases to TPB. So we're the only ones that can take action against a practitioner if the practitioner is not doing the right thing. So a common example would be that the ATO conducts an audit of practitioner's clients, or it might start off with one client, extend it out to other clients, does a an audit of a number of clients of that practitioner, determines that that practitioner has been negligent perhaps, has not provided a competent service, has not applied the tax laws correctly, has not taken reasonable care to understand the client's state of affairs, and the ATO comes to a conclusion along those lines, refers it to TPB. TPB can then take action as we see fit, determined by us, not by them, but we take action against that practitioner in those two circumstances. Mm -hmm. And it says that the TPB falls under the portfolio of the treasurer. That's right. So yep. does that mean the treasurer covers the cost of the TPB? Yes, it does. Uh, well, well, sorry, the TPB comes under the Treasury portfolio as such, and we, as board members, we report, and I report directly to the 
Minister for Revenue and Financial Services. And so that's, that's also the minister who appointed you. That's the minister who appointed all of the current board. We're appointed by the Minister for Revenue and Financial Services. That's currently Kelly O'Dwyer. So we report directly to Kelly O'Dwyer. And the TPB is funded via the Treasury portfolio and through the annual budget, the annual federal government budget and the portfolio budget statements. So we get an allocation of funding and that actual funding is then comes to us via the ATO. So from a financial perspective, our operations go via the ATO, but the funding comes from the Treasury portfolio of government in the in the budget allocation each year. And the TPB is placed in the offices of the ATO? Well, yeah. You're separate, but... We're, we're separate, but as we say, we work closely with the ATO and our staff, and we've got currently about 130 TPB staff located around the country in Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra, Melbourne, and uh, those 130 staff are effectively, what you'd say, on secondment from the ATO to the TPB. Mm. So they're ATO staff, but they've applied for and been appointed to positions within TPB, and their first priority is to the TPB, not to the ATO, although they remain ATO employees on secondment to mm. TPB. I'm amazed that you have 130 staff. I didn't realise that the TPB is that big. Yeah, well, we've got 130 staff, and the reason we need 130 staff is that we've got over 77,000 registered tax practitioners yeah, in Australia. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about it, uh, it's a lot of work associated with 77,000 practitioners because each of them generally tends to be registered for a period of three years. So therefore, on average, hmm. you're dealing with effectively 25,000 plus renewals yeah. of registration per year. And so yeah, we, we have to process that number, but we also have to deal with all of the new applications that come in. We get about 5,000 new applications, five to 6,000 new applications every year. Plus, there's also a number of surrenders, terminations, etc., where people decide that they're no longer required, etc. So, you know, all up, we could be dealing with 35,000 transactions per year in terms of registration-related issues. Then on top of that, we've got all of the issues around the complaints process. And each year we get approximately or around the, around the 1,600 mark, so 1,600 complaints per annum, which we need to deal with. And each one of those needs to be investigated. So, you know, we have a, a reasonably large number of staff who are involved in that, what we call regulatory assurance, so compliance, if you like, activities. And some of those people are investigators, ex-detectives. Uh, so, you know, when, when we look at the behaviour of a practitioner, it's got to be taken seriously because clearly it can impact their livelihood. So you actually have ex-detectives from the police force? Yeah, police mm. and police, uh, ex-police and ex-detectives, yeah. yeah. And they're and, all, and, and a lot of our staff are trained in, in um, certificates of, in, in relation to investigation. So they've got qualifications in investigation processes. Yes. And when I walked down the corridor before, I saw a room that said um, forensic evidence. Yeah, that's probably part of the ATO, not TPV. The tax practitioner community, you mentioned 77,000 before. When the TPV was first 
commenced in 2010, there were just 26,000 registered tax agents. So that population has grown from 26,000, currently in excess of 77,000. So over a period of eight years, that's been quite substantial growth in that time frame. So the original 26,000 tax agents are now 42,000. So that in itself is still significant growth. So 26 to 42. So there's 42,000 tax agents out there. In addition to that, we've got two new categories. One is the BAS agents who came in in 2010, and there's now 15,500 BAS agents who are registered. And we also now have a group of um, tax financial advisors, and they came on board in 2014, and there's now 19,500 of those tax financial advisors. So these are the people who are referred to as tax planners or tax advisors, uh, sorry, financial advisors, I should say, and they're all registered with ASIC to provide financial advice. So you so, can't be a tax financial advisor without having an AFS license? Correct. Oh, well, we can have, you can have an AFSS license or you can be an authorised representative of, of a licensee. So you've got to be registered with ASIC before you can be registered with us to be a tax financial advisor. And the increase of tax agents from 26,000 to... 42, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a huge increase. Is it that the actual number of people working in tax increase that much or is it just that a lot of them weren't registered before and now they've come on board because they need to be registered to do their work? Well I think it's probably both. There are some that probably weren't registered before that are registered now because it's more the, the criteria to be registered perhaps more clearly defined and so a number of people have come on but clearly there has been expansion of activity over the, over recent years and it's very interesting if you actually look at the Australian tax system as such you realise that the system is so very very complex and there's an increasing number of people, individuals and companies that rely on tax registered practitioners to actually assist them in that process the figures are quite staggering because it is, it's not compulsory that you lodge through an intermediary i.e. A, a tax professional. Indeed, 74% of all individual income tax returns in Australia, and there's 13 million a year, are lodged by practitioners. Mm. Um, so that's roughly 10 million returns per annum are lodged for individuals, lodged per annum by by registered tax agents because they're the only ones that can lodge and, returns. And on an international basis, is that quite a high percentage when you look at other countries? Well, I'm, I have to confess I haven't done a lot of international comparisons, but I do believe that it is higher than, than most others. But also, if you look at actually companies and, and small business and, and including BAS requirements as well, then that number jumps to 93, 94%. So 94% of all tax-related interaction with the Commissioner of Taxation for small business and big business, obviously, is through a registered tax practitioner, which will be a tax agent or a BAS agent. So that proportion is very high, and it hasn't actually, well, it's obviously increased over the last number of years. It, it hasn't decreased in recent times. And so there has been obviously a growth in the demand for services and therefore also uh, the supply is that there are additional agents out there who can do that work. So, mm. you know, there's, there's been quite significant growth in that period of time. Mm. So when we've got, we also have people who are registered as individuals, but then you can, if you wish, also register your entity or register and practice in the name of a company or a partnership, if you wish. 
right? and that requires a separate registration. Of the 42,000 plus tax agents, 71% of all of those are individuals and the remaining 29% are obviously companies and partnerships. What's the age? Is it, for example, that tax financial advisors tend to be younger than registered tax agents? Uh, well, yeah, I think that's probably a reasonable conclusion, but I do know that the, the, our stats show us that of all tax agents, 73% of them, 73% are male and 55% of them are aged over 50, right? So we've got a relatively aged population. The reverse in terms of gender bias is true reverse gender bias in terms of BAS agents because 81% of all BAS agents are female and we know that 51% of those are over 50. So not quite as old as tax agents, 51% of uh, BAS agents are over 50. Uh, also, we know that for tax financial advisors, 79% are male. So that's an even higher figure than the tax agents. 79% are male and 37% are aged over 50. So that is consistent with your suggestion there that TFAs are somewhat younger, but still 37% over 50 is still relatively aged. Are members usually just registered for one category? The um, reality is we do have a few people who mistakenly registered as tax finance advisors when they're already registered as a tax agent. You don't need to be both, but what you've got to bear in mind is that a tax agent is able to provide a full range of services, including lodging returns with the commissioner. A BAS agent is only able to offer a limited range of BAS-related services, including lodgements around business activity statements, GST, all of those instalments, etc., POYG instalments, but they're limited. So a BAS agent can only do a limited range of things. Tax agent can do everything, including BAS work. Now, in addition to that, a tax agent can also provide the same tax advice in the context of a financial advice as a tax financial advisor can provide, but the tax agent now, under new laws, can't provide the financial advice unless they are also registered with ASIC. So you could potentially have a person who's registered with ASIC as a financial advisor, but is also registered with the board as either a tax financial advisor or a tax agent. They don't have to be both. It can be one or the other. Yes. And if you're registered as the tax agent, then there is no point in registering as a tax financial advisor because the registered tax agent already operates under a much larger umbrella anyway. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Can do everything. A tax agent can do everything. A tax financial advisor is only able to offer tax advice in the context of a financial advice service that they might provide. So, you know, we've been asked that question, does that mean, what what can a tax financial advisor do? And we would say, ordinarily, we would not expect a tax financial advisor to be giving a client advice in relation to research and development expenditure or international transactions, because that's probably not something that they would provide a client in the, in the ordinary course of providing financial advice to that client. And the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is that many of the clients, most of the clients of tax financial advisors are also individuals. Right? They don't deal as regularly with businesses as such as what they deal with individuals. How is the TPB structured? There's you as the chair at the very top. And I'm, I imagine you like the chairman of a board of directors in a normal company. It's probably very similar. Yeah, role. well, it is. So the board is made up of, the ch of myself as the chair and seven other part-time board members, and I'm part-time as well. 
and so I also have my own practice uh, as a tax professional. And uh, but the board comprises myself as part time chair and seven other part time board members. As I said before, we all report uh, to the minister in respect of the operations of the TPB. So we as a board uh, are responsible for the operations of the TPB. But as I said before, we've got staff, 130 staff around the country, that do what the board wants. So they carry out the board's wishes. So the everyday grind work is done by the staff you have. Correct. But most of the decisions that are made by the board, which are what's referred to as an appellable decision, or all appellable decisions made by the board, have to be made by board members. They can't be made by staff members. And the reason for that, they're appellable decisions. And the and the Act says that any appellable decision has to be made by a minimum of board members. Can you give me an example of what an appellable decision is? Oh, okay. Decision so an appellable decision would be mean? for us to reject a, an application for registration. So if a person applies to be registered with the board, we determine, or the board members determine, that that person doesn't meet the criteria, either because they don't have the, the necessary education or alternatively they don't have the necessary experience. We might reject that application. That's an appellable decision. So the person can appeal that decision to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and they get an independent review done by the AAT. So that has to be a decision made by the board. Also, any decision the board makes to apply a sanction to a registered, currently registered practitioner, and that could include a, san- a sanction could include termination or suspension or an order to do something. Those decisions are also appellable. And so where we make those decisions as a board, the board gets involved in the day-to-day operations of the decision-making of the TPB, and that would be somewhat different from a corporate board, which is more concerned with policy, governance, those sorts of things, and leaves the operation of the business to the CEO, if you like, right? We have to be involved in some of these decisions which are operational in the sense of registration requirements and operational in the sense of regulatory assurance, i.e. disciplinary action in, in respect of a practitioner. How is the board split up? Is it split up by state so that each board member looks after a certain state? No. So we don't have board members representing states. So it's a national board and the board members are not representative of states. However, we do have board members coming from a number of different states. In fact, I think we've got Tassie, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales and Brisbane. So you know, all the major states are represented, but no board member as such represents a state interest as such. And when it comes to the process of dealing with either registrations or, again, regulatory assurance matters, compliance rate matters, we, we deal with them on a national basis as well. Although sometimes, for example, our RA team in Box Hill or in Melbourne might deal with southern region people if they've got to go out and interview clients, etc., or practitioners, they do that. Likewise, Brisbane might deal with the north, mm. northern area. So there is some geographic representation, but at the board level, no. All of the decisions are national decisions, and, and there's, no, there's no difference in terms of the application of the legislation and the rules around it on a state basis. Does the board usually act as a body? So when you come together in a board meeting, then you make all the decisions together, and that's the work of the board members. So it's not so much that a board member goes away and does something on their own for the TPB. What we do is we work on a basis. We have board board meetings. We usually meet, the board usually meets every month. 
And where? Well, we rotate usually between Melbourne and Sydney. In fact, we've got board meetings here in Sydney tomorrow and Wednesday. So the board meets um, regularly each month and they usually run over two days as part of the actual board meeting itself, but also we run what's referred to as the committee structure. So there are there are a number of board committees which board members are on. They're not on all committees. They, they, they you know. Oh, okay, and that's so, how the division of labour comes about because each board member looks after a certain committee or is part of. Yeah, a certain so a board committee. member, a board member, might be on three different committees, for example. So they, so it could be, there are a number of different committees, but there's education, there's recognised associations, there's the board conduct committees, there's the registration approvals committee, and so there's a, a range of committees that we deal with and board members, but not all of them, audit risk, etc. They're all potentially members of those committees and so the committees meet separately from the board meeting hmm. and report back to the board meeting. When you look at the structure of the TPB on the yep. internet, it says you have the chair at the top, then the board, and then below that is the secretary. Yes. What does the secretary do? Okay. Is she part, is, or is he or she full time? I think it's a she. Is okay. she full time? Yeah. So the role of the role of the secretary of the board is again defined within the Act. So the Act requires that the Commissioner of Taxation provide the board with a secretary. Now the secretary is a. I guess it's a government term. The secretary is the most senior public servant of the staff, right? So of the staff figure we talked about, 130, the, the secretary is the most senior of those. It's a person who is what's referred to as a senior executive service public servant, and that person is responsible for administering all of the staff and fulfilling all the obligations that the board has through the staff, right? So the secretary reports through the chair, through me, to the board, right, and carries out the wishes of the board as the senior person, the most senior public servant in the board in the board space. I saw on the internet that you run two different forums, a financial advisors forum and a consultative forum. Exactly, thank yeah, you. Yeah. One of each every March, August and November each year. Yeah. And how are these two forums different from each other? Obviously, a very big and critical part of what we do and how we do it is engagement of stakeholders, right? And obviously, our stakeholders in the first instance comprise the ATO, which is obviously significant, but clearly, again, the 77,000 registered practitioners around the country are the significant stakeholder. We don't have a direct communication, or we have lots of different communication channels with them, but we don't meet with them as a group. It would be pretty difficult to meet. You know, yeah, put them, all, put, them all in, put them all in the MCG or something. Mm -hmm. um, but So we don't meet with them, but we do meet because most of them are represented by a professional association. So our pathway to the, or to the practitioners, registered practitioners, is often through the pathway of the professional associations. So professional associations are therefore another significant stakeholder. So what we do is we have these consultative forums and we run them essentially three a year. And when financial advisors came on board, the issues which impacted them in terms of registration and in terms of experience and all of those things were different to the issues around tax and bass agents. So we separated the two. Some people attend both, but we run them over consecutive days. Yes, exactly. They're always one day yeah, after the day, other. Yeah. Mm. So we run them over consecutive days. We rotate them again between Melbourne and Sydney because most people are at you know, 80% of the 
populations in those two cities. We run it, we run them consecutively, and they're designed to uh, allow us to give the stakeholders uh, an indication of where we're at, what we're doing, how we're doing it, but at the same time for those stakeholders who are representing their members to give us feedback about things that they see to be critical as well. Mm. One of the things we're about to trial for the first time coming up in uh, in about two weeks' time in July um, is we're going to run a separate uh, session for BAS agents. So we're going to have a separate consultative forum for BAS agent issues and people attending that will be those entities that are registered with the board as a recognised BAS agent provide, uh, association. And how did this BAS agent yeah. feel underrepresented? Well, yeah, that, that's exactly right. The BAS agents, uh, so so there are a number of, again, I'll go back a step, I suppose, is that when we look at uh, professional associations, and there are a lot of them out there, there's about 25, I think, professional associations that are actually recognised or registered with the board, recognised by the board as a recognised professional association. And again, like the agents, they fall into three categories. So we've got recognised tax agent associations, we've got recognised BAS agent associations, and we've got recognised tax financial advice um, associations. And how many are there? Are we talking a dozen or oh, are tw- we talking hundreds? About 27 all up. Oh, okay. Yeah, about 27 all up. And some of them are registered in more than one category. So you could have an entity which is registered as a BAS agent and as a tax agent association. You could have uh, some are registered as a tax financial advisor entity and also as a tax agent association. So So there's some overlap between them, but there are three categories now. And so what we're saying is that we've got a separate forum which used to deal with tax and BAS agents together, and we've got a separate forum which deals with TFA issues separately. Now we're saying we're giving an, another voice to BAS agents to give to bring forward their issues that they see um, as, as critical. And I mean, there are some things which impact BAS agents more than tax agents, and vice versa. And I mean, one thing that's very common, one one thing that's very hot topic at the moment, particularly for BAS agents, is this um, whole new move by the ATO to single touch payroll, and that comes into play first of July this year for some employers and uh, and BAS agents probably more more at the forefront in terms of implementation of single-touch payroll than tax agents are. Mm. Hence the separate forum for them now. Yeah, so we're, we're creating this separate forum and we'll trial that, see how it goes and, uh, yeah, work it out from there. Mm. So in a forum at a particular time, you probably have 20 representatives of the recognized professional associations, but I can imagine the forum are open to register tax agents, best agents, etc. So if they chose, they could come no. to these forums as well? Or are they no, only it's by, invita- it's by invitation. At the moment, okay. we only invite we only invite the professional associations to these oh, forums, okay. but there are there are some people within those associations which are in fact also registered practitioners. So some of them, some of them, although they work for a professional association, are actually also registered practitioners. Oh, I see. Okay, good. But, but Bob Smith, registered tax agent in Wollongong, can't doesn't get invited to those. Doesn't get invited. To but what he does get invited to is a number of things. Firstly, he gets invited to every webinar that we run. Right, so we run a number of webinars. They are usually on those webinars are usually on what we'll call technical topics, but related to the Act, related to their obligations around complying with the Act. So, for example, last week we ran a webinar on um, acting in the best interests of your client. We had 800 people that turned up That's to that webinar, turn up, so yeah. it's a big turn up. And so we run, we run 
usually two or three webinars per month, and we get a reasonable reach on most of them. We're getting up around 1,000 registrations for a lot of these webinars now. So they get an opportunity to attend those webinars. And not only that, it's free and it counts for CPE as well. So, you know, members, registered practitioners have that CPE obligation. If they can get free CPE, oops, they're generally pretty happy to uh, to attend those, uh, those sort of sessions. So that's one thing we do. The second thing we do is we put out a regular newsletter, which goes out, well, in fact, we, we put out roughly five or six a year, depending on the volume of stuff around, but five or six a year go out. We call it a TPB e-news. Um, so it's, uh, it's delivered to something like 60,000 registered practitioners half a dozen times a year. So that's got a whole lot of information in there which is relevant to them. What's your open rate on that one? Uh, well, we get it. We, we, we're told that we, our opening rate is way above industry standards. Oh. We're up around the 40%. Wow. And our click-through rates are also substantially better than we're told than, than industry mm. standards. So mm. it's pretty good. So um, you're doing well. Yeah, we are. And then in addition to that, we run from time to time our own face-to-face seminars, conferences, usually an hour, two hours duration, some a little little longer. But uh, again, they're free and we've run them around the country where we provide, uh, again, information for practitioners relating to their obligations as a registered practitioner and they can attend those for free. In addition to that, we do also cooperate with the ATO and the ATO run a number of what they call ATO open forums and they run about usually about 50 of those a year around the country again, and TPB attends as many of those as we can. So this year I think we've, we've done about 35, or in the last 12 months we've done about 35 ATO open forums. That's again, a lot. Hmm. They, get, they get attendances of you know, upwards of 200 people, and so practitioners do get an opportunity there for, to hear us, we, we're, we're represented at those sessions. We get, we used to get about 30 minutes in an agenda of three hours with the ATO open forums. Mm-hmm. So that's our, that's our interaction and communication with the group at large. And, uh, and also we, we make it open. If they've got any issues, raise them with us, send mm-hmm. us an email. We've got an inquiry line. Coming back to the recognised professional association, just so that I can picture them, that would be the Tax Institute, it would be Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand, it would be CPA. IPA, National IPA. Tax Agents Association. Is it also, for example, Tax and Super Australia? Tax and Super Australia, okay. NTAA. Mm-hmm. Oh, NTAA as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then there's also, well, there's a number of uh, others. There's the uh, Royal Institute of Conveyances, RICS, uh, there's also South African Institute of Chartered Accountants. We used to have the New Zealand, oh, we still have the New Zealand Institute of Chartered Accountants, even though they've merged with CAANZ, they're still registered with us. And then the Bass Agent Associations, we've got the ICB, which is Certified Bookkeepers. We've got ABA, ABN, which is the Australian Bookkeeping Association and the Australian Bookkeeping Network. And we've got the AAT, which is the Association of Accounting Technicians. And they're the major three that represent BAS agents. But you're right. Uh, and, and I obviously I've missed some because, as I said, oh, and then amongst the financial advisors, we've got, we've got SMSF Association, we've got FPA, we've got AFA. 
and uh, they're the main they're the main ones there. But yeah, you know, so there's all of the main professional associations mm-hmm. are represented, and they usually yeah. send one representative to to the forums. Yeah, we yeah usually it's one, sometimes uh, two, and they and if they're registered in more than one category, then they may attend more than one of those mm-hmm. forums. Welcome back. There's an important point that I forgot to ask Ian about, but that should get mentioned nevertheless. The TPB does not get involved in fee disputes. That is a commercial matter between the client and the practitioner and to be sorted out elsewhere. In the next episode, episode 56, we will talk about acknowledgement and declaration of trust for an SMSF. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.